Hello. Have we met before? There's lots of rock stars in this room. Exactly. Excuse me. So, we're going to talk about brain development. And the crowd says, yay! I love brain development. I'm a little weird because I do love brain. Did you love it too? I love it. Love it. I've been very fortunate in my college career. I've had some fantastic professors who are passionate about the subject. And in turn, I got excited about it too. And I went into my first anatomy and physiology class dreading, dreading it. I remember the very first day I sat down in my anatomy class. The teacher shuffles in carrying a dish with a calf's brain in it. Have you ever seen a calf's brain? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I love calf brain. This one's been swimming in formaldehyde for quite a while. You know the smell. And it's the 8 a.m. class, and it wafts over the room. And I'm in the front going, oh, gosh, this was a mistake. And he brings the calf's brain over, and he sits it on the desk. And it jiggles like jello. <laughs> Today, class, we will begin our exploration of the milky folds of the brain. And I said, I've made a tremendous mistake. And then he laughed. He goes, ha, 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 that would be crazy, right? And then he turned into a comedian and taught us about the brain. And it was awesome. I want to share with you, in a nutshell, what it is that that professor taught me, as well as a lot of the information I picked up since then. My goal today is that you will leave this room knowing a bit more about the specific function of specific regions of the brain. That's my goal. I do not want you to leave this room knowing 15 bodies of the brain and how they compare from the frontal to the um, occipital to the um, I don't know, parietal lobe, blah, 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 blah. Is that useful information? Maybe not. So what we're going to do today is we're going to break it down into this. When you leave here, you're going to know about the gross brain anatomy of a child and what children understand as they grow and how that relates to the part of the brain that's growing and also behavioral characteristics that you should expect because in your line of work, are you responsible for kind of pointing out when a kid is on track and maybe when a kid is just a little just a little off, off track, maybe? Hopefully this presentation will help give you some ammunition as to, uh, to back up that intuition that you have. And also, what every teacher needs to know when they have one of those little booger heads in front of them in different developmental stages. So, I'll pause. My name is Tom Wilbeck. Everybody say hello, Tom. Hello, Tom. I'm a counselor. I work with children primarily, some, some adults, but I prefer the little ones because adults get complicated. <laughs> adults get complicated. They sure do. Well, I don't know, know what it is, but I believe I was put here on this earth. It took me a while to find this out. It, I believe I was put on this earth to work with children, to love children, to help guide children, and to show children that no matter what, love is real and they deserve 100% of it. 
That's why I think I was put on this planet. Do, are you guys like that too? I saw some of you shaking your head like, you too? Yeah, we're in a club together. It's called early childhood education. What? Yeah, this is awesome. This, I hope, will help give you more, more tools to use in your God-given pursuit of working with the children, okay? I have a picture in front of you right now. The picture is of a brain, but I love this one in particular. Can you see it? Look at the silhouette of the, ch- of the, of the head that's holding the brain. It's a baby. It's a child. You don't see that very often, do you? It's usually a nondescript adult form, and it has a picture in the middle with about three dozen arrows pointing to different bodies of the brain. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it makes me want to shoot myself in the face because that's too much. I don't need that. I don't need all that information. What I need is give me the nuts and bolts of what I need to know right now when I have a two-year-old in front of me. What do I need to know about their brain right now? Now, I saw you taking pictures. It's fantastic. But I also have cards up here. If you would like this presentation, please take the card, email the thing on the card. I will email you this presentation and any other presentation you ask for. You can learn more at (laughs) tomsfunband.com. We're only going to focus on three areas of the brain. Can we handle three? We can handle three. Area number one, the brain stem. Brain stem lives right here. The back of the head. So everybody get your hand, place it where that notch in your neck, right, the base of your skull. That's, after a stressful day, rub it like you had a stressful day. <sighs> Have you ever done this? Mm-hmm. Rub, rub it right here, honey. Have you ever asked your husband or somebody? somebody <laughs> ah, right there. Okay, you got it? Okay, hands down. That's not exactly where your brainstem is. <laughs> but that's the neighborhood. That's the neighborhood of where the brainstem lives, and I want you to associate this area with stress. What does the brainstem do? The brainstem allows us to be alive. It runs our motor. It runs our hearts. How many of you right now are thinking, beat, 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 beat? Are you thinking that? Beat. No, you're not. Brainstem's got that covered. It's taking care of your heart rate. How many of you right now are thinking, I need to regulate my body temperature in a way that I can maintain muscle um, flexibility and also have optimal blood flow? Okay, I'm thinking maybe 98.6 would be a good temperature for me to have right now, so I'm regulating. Are you thinking that? No, because brainstem's got that covered. Also, your stress response. If I pulled a gun out of my pocket right now and I said, everybody down, give me all your money, which is ridiculous because we all know early child people don't have money. <laughs> give me all your money, $1.75, thank you. <laughs> but if I pulled a gun out, you would all go, ah! automatically, right? Some of you would lunge across the table and beat me up. Some of you would run and go to the back of the room. Some would go outdoors. All those responses are normal. All those responses are given to you by the brain stem. Fight or flight response comes from the brain stem. We're talking about the brain stem. What? We've already got one down. Sweet. Now the next area that we're going to talk about is the cerebrum. Everybody get your hands and go, like you're surprised. The chocolate milk on the new white rug. (laughs) Think about surprise. 
If you're going to be surprised, what do you have to have first? An emotion, yes. External stimulus, yes. Maybe an expectation. If you have no expectations, you can't be surprised. I don't know what's going to happen. Boom. Well, I guess that's supposed to happen. <laughs> or, huh? Yeah, you're supposed to have, you need the sensory input. You need sight, sound, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but you need, you need memory to be surprised. I remember this is how it's supposed to work. I just experienced it. It's not like that. <gasps> I remember that chocolate milk can stain a white rug. He has chocolate milk. He's pouring it on a white rug. <gasps> Sebastian. <laughs> Are you with me? The reason I'm saying all this is oh, all the recipe for surprise lives in the cerebrum. Cerebrum is where learning lives. It's where memory lives. It's where emotion lives. It's not necessarily the sensory processing unit, but it is where we interpret our senses. So when someone punches you, that was processed through other parts of the brain, but that guy's a jerk. That was processed in the cerebrum. <laughs> You with me on this one? Cerebrum. Everything you need to be surprised lives in the cerebrum. And finally, the cerebellum. Cerebellum. You've seen, ever heard that country group called Lady Cerebellum? <laughs> no? Is it La Lady Antebellum? Oh. <laughs> Lady Cerebellum. That's hilarious. They're recording this, so I'm going to be as goofy as possible. I apologize to whoever is going to get this recording. <laughs> so, cerebellum, what does it do? Does it make you move? No, that's where the motor center is. Motor center is kind of in the midbrain. Does it coordinate movement? Yes. So, with that in mind, have you ever been roller skating? No. Okay. Have you ever been roller skating recently, within the last six months? Good for you. Good for you. Is it different than you remember from when you were a kid? Yeah, I don't know what it is about roller skating rinks. There seems to be more gravity in those buildings. So I went roller skating recently, and I was like, kids, I got this. I have 13-year-old I have twins, and we were roller skating, I guess, about two years ago. I said, guys, you've got to understand, back in the day, I was, I was Tommy, Tommy Two Skates. I was the guy. I have my own skates. You know, I don't need to check them out, but I'll check them out. I have my own skates. So watch this. You're going to see some magic happen. There must be something wrong with these skates. Don't worry about it. And invariably, I got out on the floor trying to be Tommy Two Skates, and I fell down, and when I fell down, I hit my head on the hard wooden floor. Touch your head where it would contact the floor. That's where your cerebellum lives. Right there, right behind the occipital notch. Actually, a little bit lower, but you get the picture, right? It's right here. Cerebellum. What does the cerebellum do? It makes it where you, it coordinates, coordinates movement so you can roller skate. Hmm? The cerebellum is not in the emotional center. That's in the midbrain. But cerebellum, cerebellum is where all of your movement is coordinated. Yes, your motor skills. The motor center is right in front of it, but this is where everything is coordinated. This is where everything's coordinated. Do you think J.J. Watt's cerebellum is different than mine? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't need to elaborate on that. But uh, yeah, we all have a different kind of cerebellum. Have you ever met someone who can just dance? They just move like water. There's this, mm, I am not that person. But you know that person, they can really dance well. Cerebellum can coordinate their movement to move in a way that is synced with music and comes out looking awesome. When I dance, I kind of look like I'm having a seizure. And so there's some coordination there, but not to the level of, you know, a professional dancer. Have you ever met someone who walks into walls on occasion? Yeah. Have you ever known someone who has lots of bruises and you say, what happened? And they go, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have a cerebellum. Kind of. They do. They do. Are you with me on this one? If it's true for adults, it must be true for children, right? It's got to be true for children. So we have three areas of the brain that we're going to focus on. Each of these areas of the brain drive the boat, so to speak, as a child grows. And I want you to know who's driving the boat, because there's one thing that I definitely know from over 20 years of experience of working with kids, and it is that biology is in charge of a child's behavior most of the time. And you cannot fight biology. You need to know biology so you can accept it when it shows up and keep the little booger safe in spite of biology. Are you with me on this one? The, the analogy that makes most sense to me is, have you ever seen a river, a flowing river? It's really beautiful when you stand on the bank and look at it, right? And it makes that sound as the water cascades over rocks and things. It's pretty nice, right? Have you ever stood in the middle of that river? What does it feel like when you stand still in the middle of a flowing river? There's a lot of force pushing against you, isn't it? And the deeper you go, the less likely you'll be standing, right? If you jump into a river chest deep that has some current to it, you're going to go downstream, and there's nothing you can do about it. Is that true? Working with children is the same way. Biology, God made them, and they're and they're on a track, and they're going to flow. They're going to. There's not a whole bunch we can do about the flow. So if you try to resist the flow, there's going to be splashing. There's going to be a lot of effort, and eventually someone's going to fall down. Are you with me on this one? So our job as early childhood educators is not to stop or reroute the river. We don't need to stop and change the river. We need to flow with the river. Now we have to be the banks we got to make sure the river don't go crazy and break stuff. <clears throat> so that's the reason we're having this conversation. I want you to understand <clears throat> how a child's brain, <clears throat> how a child's brain flows. So you can see the behavior, recognize it as normal, and then give them banks. Give them banks to guide the river to a safe place. Cool? All right. So here's how a brain generally works. This was explained to me by a neuropsychologist, which is a very strange person, a neurosurgeon, neuropsychologist, very strange people indeed. I encourage you to have dinner with one because it's awesome. But here's how this person tells me um, about how the brain works. When a newborn is born on the first day of life, picture this. Can you picture a newborn? They're small. They're wrinkly. They're discolored. 
And they're not that chubby little face that we see on the newborn baby um, um, diaper boxes. They're kind of gross looking, to be honest with you, the very first, first few hours of life. At that moment that they are born and they are exposed to the outside world for the first time, every single need that they have, neurologically speaking, is already present. All their brain cells are present and accounted for. They're all there. But just like a grassy field, none of them, well, very few of them, are connected. Are you with me? See the grass? They all stand side by side, and they all sway. They're not connected. They all just stand and sway, just like a grassy field. But over time, as that baby experiences life and love and nurturing and food and support from caregivers, they start to learn things. That sound is mom's voice. When I hear that sound, I am soothed. That's not necessary. When I get food, I'm soothed. When I'm clean, I'm soothed. You get the picture, right? When I'm cold, hungry, scared, startled, I scream, I get attention. See how that works? Those are things that a child learns over the first few hours of life. And the very first time that they go metaphorically across the grassy field, I heard that voice. What does that sound mean? What is that? That's not really the thought they're having. They're not capable of thought at this one. They're going, they kind of stagger across the grassy field. But the first time was kind of crazy. Maybe they got a little lost. The second time, a little bit better. But the third time you cross a grassy field, what's different? You can see a pathway. And the more you use that pathway, the easier it is to get from point A to point B. The pathway becomes permanent. Are you with me on this one? This is why when a child hears their name from day one, they start to build a pathway. On their 18th birthday, when the same mother mentions the child's name, they have the same neurological response that they had on the first day of life. Now, it's Susan is that way, but Susan Joyce Wilbeck <laughs> is a whole different animal altogether. That's a different pathway, right? So does that make sense? That's how learning happens. Children are born with all these brain cells, but none of them, very few of them, are attached. And they all just kind of breathe. They flow in the breeze. They just flow in the breeze. Have you ever seen a newborn baby show a behavior that looks similar to an older child? Maybe a newborn baby smiles. And you're like, oh, he likes me. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they smile. Ever seen them? Sometimes they put their hand in their mouth. Oh, he found his fingers. You know what that is on the, on the first few weeks of life? That's random. That's random flowing cells. They bumped into each other, and we got one of these. It doesn't mean anything about the outside world. What that means is we had flowing things. Oh, okay, a little bit of random neurological impulse. Zap. My child is extremely intelligent. He knows who I am, and he smiles every time I enter the room. Watch. Let me show you. Okay. No, wait. Watch. Get the camera ready. Okay. Ever been to that person's house? No, 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 no. He did this yesterday. Hang on. Come on, buddy. Come on. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, does that make sense? That whole analogy of the grassy field and the pathways, that never goes away. Ever learned a new skill? Did you get it right the very first time? Nope. Mm -mm, I didn't. The very first time I picked up a guitar, it sounded like someone was dying. 
but I really wanted to play. I really, really, really wanted to play. So I stuck with it. I stuck with it, and eventually it got better. The first time I held a guitar, I went, metaphorically, stumbling across a grassy field. Is this how you do it? And they're like, no. And then I'm going to try it again. Is that how you do it? 200, 300, 400, 6,000 times across the grassy field. Now I can pick up any guitar. I'm no virtuoso, but I can play a song pretty much on anything that's got strings. Like me, like this, strum, yay! So you get the picture, grassy field. I have a pathway now. You have pathways too. When was the last time you got in your car and thought, okay, um, I'm in the car. Key, yes, key. For some of you don't need keys anymore, you just push the button. But if you don't push the button without your foot on the brake, what happens? Nothing. Yeah, yeah, so you, do you think about these things as you do them or do you just flow and do it? You just flow, pathway. You have a pathway now. So let's look at some stuff as these little babies are growing and what's going on inside their brains. From zero to six months, what, I mean, we want you to picture, this is a pretty broad range from zero to six months. What does a child look like in this age range? Three, four months old, what do they look like? Are they walking around? Are they sitting up? No. Maybe at six months. Okay. Okay, are they scooching maybe at five, six months? Okay, but are they talking to you? No. no. Are they feeding themselves? No. Not really. Maybe they can put a hand on a Cheerio, but they only eat it because it sticks to their hand. <laughs> so, um, but do they move? Do they have movement? Yeah. Is their movement as smooth as water? As coordinated as a breeze? No. They're herky, jerky, little meh. Things. Why is that? Why is that? Because what's going on with their cerebellum from zero to six months? Cerebellum coordinates movement. What's going on with the cerebellum? Yeah, it's learning slowly. Somebody's got to be driving the boat. Who's driving the boat from zero to six months? Brain stem. Okay, if brainstem is driving the boat, brainstem is the primary part of the brain that's in charge from zero to six months, what does the brainstem do? The brainstem regulates body function. This is why when they, they can't leave the hospital until heart rate, breathing, and body temperature is all regulated. If they get check, 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 they can go home. If they don't have checks in those, they don't go home, right? Breathing, heart rate, body temperature, all those are functions of the brainstem. What else does the brainstem do? Brainstem sounds the alarm when something's wrong. We all still have that. When something's wrong, our brainstem goes, problem, problem, freak out. Babies, that's all they have, pretty much. Cognitively speaking, the one thing that they've got in spades is brainstem. That's why when you have a baby, does a baby ever go, <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I can see you're busy right now, but... Um, I'm feeling, if you could just go and get a chance, I'm a little wet and kind of hungry. So, you know, I would get it, Susan, really. I would get the food, but cerebellum, you know. <laughs> so you're not going to get that from a zero to six month old, no. What do you get instead? <laughs> you get the function of the brain part that is, is fully on fire at that moment, and that happens to be brainstem. Have you ever looked at a small child, I know you haven't, but maybe you've seen others, 
What do you want? As they cry for the sixth hour. Why are they crying? We may never know. We may never know. But is their brainstem sending signals that creates the behavior that we know is crying? Yeah. So anything that you do for a child in this age should start with this. Step one, soothe the child. If you soothe the brainstem, you will most likely get predictable behavior, right? When your brainstem is soothed and feels safe and comfortable, do you act like yourself? Yeah. When your brainstem is like, danger, 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 that person's a freak, um, do you act like yourself? No. You're like, eh. You get stiff, you change things about yourself, you start thinking about safety and less about the nuances that makes you, you. So a child is nothing, it has no nuance. A, a child at this age is, ha, has erratic movement and alarms that go off on occasion. So when you're caring for these little booger heads, you have to make them feel warm, give them emotional and external warmth and security. And that means food comes at the same time. It's the same food. Your environment is stimulating, but not overstimulating. I entered a nursery once with pink walls. Have you entered a room ever with four pink walls? It feels like you're stepping into Pepto-Bismol, <laughs> which I kind of like, by the way. I, I like the flavor. I don't know what it is. It's gross. Anyway, but it's very, as soon as you step in, it's like, there's like the sound in the air, even though there's no sound. You get the picture. It's very, oh, it's like, ew, it's tough on the senses. Is that, would, do you think a baby would pick that up? Yeah, infants would pick that up. Their, their brainstem would say, eh, that's a little bit too much, a little bit too much ocular stimulation. So, offer stimulating environment and offer consistent satisfaction of basic needs. This is a no-brainer. Of course, we're going to feed the baby. We're going to clean the baby. Who's taking care of the baby when you're not around? Well, mom and dad or grandma or whoever, they go home, right? Do the, do the children we serve have satisfaction of basic needs on a regular basis? Statistically, most of them do. Statistically, some of them do not. When they come to you and they're, not, you, they're, ha you're, they're hard to soothe, or even with food, maybe they... Their, their behavior is just strange when it comes to satisfaction of basic needs. I'm not saying that's, oh, we need to call CPS immediately, but it's definitely something to consider. How does the baby smell? How, how, babies have folds. How clean are their folds? Do you see what I'm saying? These are the things we've got to look at because this is a real world. This is the real world. And if you're caring for little ones of this age, we have to think about, are their basic needs being met on a regular basis? And is there anything we can do to help that happen? Because it is critical that their basic needs are met on a regular basis. And this is why. What we have right here is a CAT scan of a three-year-old's brain. I know we skipped ahead, but work with me on this one. One three-year-old has been nurtured and has been fed on a regular basis and has always had a roof over their head. The other has been neglected and has been fed on an irregular basis and has been homeless for some years of its three-year life. Can you point to which brain is the nurtured brain? Uh, duh. But I wanted you to see this because chronologically, these brains are the same age. Chronologically, these brains have been on Earth for the same amount of time. One of them looks dramatically different. So it's not just a great idea to nurture our children and to fulfill their, their cognitive needs. 
It is a physiological need that we fulfill their cognitive and nurturing needs. They physiologically, physiologically will change when we love them. The brain closest to me has been loved. The brain furthest from me maybe doesn't have a concept of what love is just yet. Now, what accounts for the difference in size? It's a thing called myelinization. Yay, myelin. Do y'all know what myelin is? I have a, have a, a confession. I always refer to neural connections. Nerves are connected. Nerves aren't really connected. Nerves get close to each other, and a sheath of myelin grows around them to insulate the nerves from other things in the biological environment, other chemicals, other nerves, muscles, etc. Myelin is a protective sheath that goes around. You'll see there's a plastic sheath around every cable that you pick up, right? It's kind of the same thing. Myelin actually causes bulk. It makes, makes things get bigger. This is why when a child is born, the brain's this big. They have very little myelin. But at 21 years old, when their brain stops growing, pretty much, it's this big. What happened? Myelin happened. That's what happened. All the nerves and stuff has been there, but, and all the cells have been there, but now we have way more myelin. What is myelin made of? Protein. If you don't have a good diet, guess what you're not making? Myelin. Guess what you need to make? Myelin, yeah, you can't learn without it. You can't learn without a good diet. Cool? All right. So the main difference of these two? Myelin is the main difference. Well, let's fast forward. At 21 years of age, this brain, okay, will be inside of a, of a person who acts the way they act at 21 years old. Even if this child at the age of three was adopted and loved and given a structured, wonderful and challenging environment, just showered with love and praise from that day forward, will they be different than this guy at 21 years of age? <coughs> yes, yes they will. Because you can't make up for lost time in early childhood. You have to get them in the beginning. This is why we have these conferences, right? This is why it's so important for us to understand what it is that we're doing. Now look at this. That was a downer. Oh crap, we're looking at neglected kids' brains. I should make up a story. He grew up, and that's now Donald Trump. <laughs> I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to leave it there. He, I'm not saying, I'm not making any value statements. Six to 18 months. That's huge. It's a big span. A six-month-old. Can a six-month-old walk? No. Can an 18-month-old walk? Yes. That's a big difference. Okay. Can a six-month-old speak a full sentence? Can an 18-month-old speak a full sentence? Uh, it may not make sense. They can put words together, right? I, want you to I wanted you to see this because the area between 6 and 18 months, so much changes in a child's body that it would be the equivalent of us, we can all walk, I saw you, you walked in here, that was great, and just a few months from now, suddenly, we get the biological ability to fly. We're just walking, we're like, kind of, kind of feel light, like, whew, and we fly away. Would you freak out a little bit if you flew? Would you? I think I would. I would, I would probably be like, oh, the, oh my God, I could, <laughs> hey! Would it change your behavior if suddenly you could fly? 
Yeah, it would change you globally if suddenly you went from walking to flying. Six months old, they can't move very well. 18-month-old, they move a lot like us. So much has changed. Their whole self will change in this period because of the freedom they get, because of what part of the brain? Cerebellum. Now, the brainstem is like, I got you. You survived. Yay, we got up here. We're going to make it. We're going to live. That's good. That's what that's brainstem's job. Make sure we survive. And now we get up here to this age and it says, we're going to make this survival thing go a step further. Cerebellum, could you coordinate some movement so if we're hungry, we don't have to rely on other people? We could walk to the food. And if you're cold or lonely, you can walk to the caregiver. Can you do that? Cerebellum says, I got you. Cerebellum coordinates movement, coordinates movement over time. Okay, we creep a little bit, we roll a little bit, we crawl a little bit, we walk. All right, at 18 months, we're moving. And once you start moving at 18 months, do you think a child wants to stop moving? I want you to picture an 18-month-old in your head. Have you ever turned to an 18-month-old and said, okay, everybody, everybody, shh, everybody, hold still and sit. I need you to focus. One, two, three. Eyes on me. And the 18-month-old sits down and says, I am ready to learn, teacher. Please, please deliver your wisdom onto me. Right? No. Remember the river? I was referring to 18-month-olds. 18-month-olds, they, they, they just flow. They go everywhere. And you just kind of have to keep them from the sharp edges. That's why if you have a classroom for this age, you know, in a successful classroom means no one's bleeding at the end of the day. <laughs> Everything in the classroom is appropriate to be touched, dropped, kicked, licked, chewed upon. It has to be, because what's going to happen? No matter if you want it to or not, if it's in the room, it will be dropped, kicked, licked, chewed upon at the 18 months old. Why? Because biologically, that's what they need. They need this to be happening because the biological need is survival. We've taken our screaming to a new level. We can still scream like the best of them, but now we can move towards solutions of our life risk problems. Does an 18-month-old understand the subtlety between survival and death? Hmm. Does an 18-month-old understand subtlety of anything? <laughs> Things like friendship, sharing, rules. No. Not really. We should still use the words friend. We should still use the word share. We should still have rules. But will they understand them? Not yet. Not yet. They're just little movement machines that scream at times, and they say things that don't make a lot of sense. I think, I think, I think, mama, mama says, damn it. <laughs> and mama's like, oh, jeez. It doesn't happen very much at 18. It happens more at 24, 36 months, but it comes out every now and then. So what they need is they need to explore and move, and they seek stimulation. And always, I need to be stimulated at this age. At 18 months, everything has to be experienced. Don't tell me about it. I need to chew on it for a while. I need to touch it and sit on it. I want to move it. So in this area, if you'll notice, something has happened over the last 20-plus oh, years at the youngest of age, it was 18 months, all of the toys and sensory objects in a classroom have all started to resemble each other. 
I'm not saying this is true for your classroom, but I've seen it in many, many places all over the place. Things are usually plastic, they're usually smooth, they're usually lightweight, and they're usually, they don't have any sharp edges whatsoever, and they're easy to clean. You can wipe them down with a Clorox wipe easily. That's what, though, that, that's the recipe for what goes into an 18-month-old room. And that's all they need, right? Is lightweight, smooth plastic things? No. Now, I'm not saying you should put shards of glass in your classroom, <laughs> but could you put something else? What else are we supposed to put? Are you, hmm? Yeah, one of those big cardboard books that can be thrown and chewed on and stuff, and it's got some sandpaper on the sand, and it's got fluffy stuff for the duck. You get the picture, right? It's got carpet for whatever. You get the picture. I, have, I suggest this to everyone, and, I, and everyone looks like I'm crazy, and later on they come back and say, okay, I tried it, and okay, it was pretty cool. I suggest this. Um, lightweight things are wonderful. They need lightweight things that they can manipulate. Heavy things are also a good idea. You're like, heavy? Really? Because this is going to hurt somebody. So here's what you do. Um, Shoebox, sand, sand into a Ziploc bag, Ziploc bag, tape around the bag, tape, 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 bag in the shoebox. Guess what you put on the outside of the shoebox? Two rolls of duct tape. Not one. <laughs> Two rolls. Tape, 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 tape. Now we have something that has a very interesting texture, right? It's spongy, it's rubbery, and it weighs something. And it didn't cost us much of anything to make, did it? And so where do you put it? On the floor. Put it on the floor or on a very, very low shelf. And watch what, and it doesn't have to be colorful. Watch as the kids gravitate towards it. They're going to touch it and push it. They're going to kick it. They'll stand on it. They'll sit on it. They'll flip it over. And it will get ratty after a little while. And when it gets ratty, you know what you do? Throw it away and make a new one. If it gets so ratty that you need to clean it, don't clean it. Throw it away and make another one, okay? And it's things like that that this age needs. Do they know the difference between a bus and a sports car? No. But if you look in the bin, we've got buses and sports cars, station wagons, SUVs. There's a camper. They think plastic wheels. This is what they're like. Meh. I can grab it. It's got wheels. I like wheels. And so we don't need variations on a theme. We just need things that they can touch, manipulate, that will give them a different sensory experience. Cool? Because that's what you need to do. Allow them to explore. And you better be singing. Do you guys sing in your classrooms? Oh, yes. Oh, man, you're rock stars. I heard a teacher tell me, I can't carry a tune. The kids don't want to hear me sing. I was like, are you kidding me? I said, sing with me. Sing with me. And I, and I just started making stuff up. Time to sit, time to sit. And the teacher said, time to sit, time to sit. And I was like, hey, it works. Time to clap your hands with me. Time to sit, time to sit, time to sit. You're sitting. Good job. Time to sit, time to sit. Now stop. Are you sitting? Almost time. You see how that goes? Am I? You don't have to be a rock star to sing that, but you know what the kids are going to go? Sing the sit song. <laughs> sing the sit song. Sing the sit song. Is that better than, hey, everybody, sit, sit. Hey, hey, sit, sit. Sebastian. <laughs> sit. 
shh, sit, shh, sit. Don't put those two close together. Shh, sit. <laughs> so we're talking about the cerebellum. We're giving the chance for the cerebellum to be stimulated and it's coordinating movements going everywhere. So we should completely ignore the brainstem, right? If you ignore soothing and security things at this age, what will an 18-month-old do? Can they still scream and cry? Yeah, yeah, they're professionals at it. They're really good. They're really, really good. All right, toddlers. I love toddlers. Toddlers are the people that taught me that rainbows have smells. Did you know a rainbow had a smell? <laughs> rainbows have... A little girl came up to me and we, after a show, and I was, I was thinking like an adult. I'm thinking... Um, after a show, a little girl comes up, and I'm thinking she wants to talk about the show. She's going to say, you know what? You played that song. It reminded me of the time I was at the park. And <laughs> it's good times. It's good times. I appreciate the show. All right? All right. And, and in my stupid adult brain, I'm thinking that's why people come up to someone after a show. I've got a towel. I'm sweaty. And blah, 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 I'm doing this. And she comes up, and she goes, rainbows smell like they ran rainbows. Rainbows smell. You smell like a rainbow. And I was like, all right, I'm going to put that on my website. <laughs> Mr. Tom's Fun Band. Smells like a rainbow. I'm looking at the time. Okay, good. All right. But at this age, we start to shift into a different part of the brain. It's no longer about alarms and coordinating clumsy movement. It is still. We haven't got there yet. But... Something else happens in this age. They start to develop a sense of them, that they're real, they're here, and they're present. They are a thing. And I have bad news for you if you work with this age child. What is the age of a child, toddler? Hmm? Two, two to four-ish. Yeah, two to four-ish, plus or minus. There's some controversy about when is a toddler a pre-K kid? I'm like, they're just children. Can we, do we have to classify everything? But after 18 months, after 18 months, so now we're in the 20 to 24 months, they enter this wonderful world of, of toddlerdom, and they don't all enter on the same day. You know, they don't all enter in the same way. That wasn't supposed to rhyme, but apparently I'm a rapper. They, they enter this world where they start to realize that I, I, I want mine, mine, no, no, you know what I mean? They have opinions now. They're not well formed, but they're strong and they have this emotional thing, emotions. Ah, there's like a little emotional bottle rocket at this age. They have no rhyme or reason to why. Sometimes they're angry. Sometimes they're sad. And do they know what angry and sad is? No. No, they don't. Not at all. So at this age, they're super busy. They're pushing boundaries because for the first time in their entire life, they exist. They are a thing. The bad news is because they exist, you don't. You are not a person. Their concept of a person, it doesn't exist yet. I want you to know this because these are the biggest jerks in early childhood. <laughs> they are. They're rude. 
They're rude little jerk people. <laughs> so remember the river? If you stand with a two-year-old or a young three and tell them, you're being rude right now. You are hurting my feelings. You might as well be saying, green is the color that represents the, on the color of rainbow, the 1442, the green, blue, blah, 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 blah. Because what you just said made no sense whatsoever. You hurt my feelings. Do you exist in their world? Yes, but only to serve them. Do you have feelings? If you do, it doesn't matter. I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm just telling you where they are developmentally. Developmentally, they don't know the subtlety of you yet. They're just starting to wake up to the subtlety of me. And if this is brand new, apparently I'm a pretty big deal. And the world is mine. That's mine. You're mine. Mine, mine, mine. Friendship is a concept they don't quite get, but they should be introduced to at this age. And they're seeking to understand who they are. Have you ever sat down with a three-year-old and tried to read them a book and you insisted on turning the pages yourself? Have you ever done that? Yeah. Go stand in a river. Stand in the river. Let the river push you down. Who turns the pages when you're reading to a three-year-old? They do. Did, they, did you choose the book or did they choose the book? They chose the book. Is it the same freaking book as yesterday? Yes, it is. Pathways. Remember the grassy field? Pathways. Brown bear, brown bear. It's important. I know repetition kills you, but they need it. They need those pathways. They need it. They love it. They feel secure when they have the same thing over and over again. So they're super busy. They assert themselves all the time, but they're still just as fragile as a newborn infant. Remember, their brainstem is still in charge. Their brainstem is still there. Their cerebrum is starting to fire up now. Their cerebellum has done a lot of work, and they're moving. Some of them can hop. After 24 months, you should be able to hop. If you can't hop, if you're asking a, a three-year-old to hop and they still do the, the you know, the butt-out bounce, this is what they do prior to hopping. This is a pre-hop bounce. But then there's that one day when they go, Mwah! and then on that day, that's all they do. They hop everywhere, right? It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. At 24 months and toddler years, they should be hopping. If they're not, okay. At 24 months, when they walk, their feet should resemble ours when we walk. If they walk with toes out, it's okay, that's an issue. What's going on with their cerebellum? If, if their gait doesn't look the same as an adult when they're walking in a toddler years, their gait should be similar to an adult when they're walking. I'm not talking strides. <laughs> but they should walk without concentration. They should walk without toes pointing inward or outward. They should move with a gait that looks fluid at this age. If they don't, something's going on with the cerebellum. This should be something we talk to mom and dad about. Cool? All right. So, hmm. Here's what you got to do with them. I'm sorry that you don't exist for these kids. <laughs> this, in a very real way, they don't think you live anywhere else but the school the church. So when they see you outside of the building, 
Some of them will, re- will react with anger. What are you doing out here? This is mine. You need to go away. Also, they don't think you use the restroom. <laughs> That's a new thing for them. That's theirs. They own that. You're not part of it. You don't, you don't poo and pee. Are you serious? <laughs> so I want, I want you to know this. It's kind of silly, but there's a day when a three-year-old can look at you and with the face that resembles an adult will say a statement that sounds adult-like, that is rude and disrespectful. Is that child being rude and disrespectful? Not intentionally, no. They're mimicking something they've seen, or maybe words are just kind of accidentally falling out of their mouth. If you react, guess what you're going to see tomorrow? (laughs) So if someone goes, you just need to shut up, I'll slap you in the face. Let's say... You just really, that's, that's not a wonderful thing to say. We're just going right over here. Redirection, redirection, redirection. I'm not going to freak out and say, you will not talk to me that way, young lady. <laughs> Guess what they're going to do tomorrow? <laughs> Slap you in the face, and you in the face, and you in the face. <laughs> All right. So here's what you've got to do. Give them some jobs. Allow them to move. This is one of the things that always gets me. Um, Who has the largest classrooms in your center? Is it the three-year-olds or is it the five-year-olds or four-year-olds? Fours and fives. This This is true in every center I've ever visited. Older children get bigger rooms. Now, when the kids are older, when they're four or five years old, guess what they're really good at? Movement. Fours and fives have got it down. Guess who's not really experts at movement yet? Children under the age of four. They're still working on it, and yet we give them smaller classrooms to move in with more stuff. There's more stuff in there. They're bouncing off the shelves. I love duct tapes for shelves, too. If you don't don't want to paint it, wrap it in duct tape. It's a color, and it has a little bit of padding on it. I'm just saying. Heads bounce off shelves. It happens all the time. So... I'm just saying, if you're in a situation where you have to maybe remodel or change things, talk to your directors about maybe letting the younger children who are mobile have larger spaces and the older children can have a little bit less square footage. You know why? Because they don't need it. They don't need it as much as the little guys do. The little guys need to move. They have to move. If they're going to get better at moving, you've got to let them move. And if you're in your classroom, you're doing your darndest to help them, and you're helping them, trying to get them to focus. Everyone focus, hocus, focus, everybody focus. And the kids are like, bah! <laughs> Remember the river? What should you do to a toddler in that, era, that time? All right, everybody, line up, line up. We're going to the gym. We're going to the grass. I'm going to get some cones, and we're going into the parking lot and make the little area in a parking lot. Whatever the resource you have, if this isn't working at this age, remember the river. Don't resist the river. Channel the river to a safe place because they have to move. They have to move at this age. They have to explore. they got to touch things, but they also need you to tell them what's safe and how things work. This is why in the toddler years, you got to have your structure. Your structure shouldn't change. It should be the same every single day. Hey, kids, you know what I was thinking? Today we're going to try something new. Well, get ready. It's going to be a bad day. (laughs) Give them the same thing. They love it. They need it. They feel secure. Brainstem. They feel secure when they know what's coming. But they kind of look like little adults now. So can't they just go with the flow? No. No, they can't. 
Give them their adults when they're adults. They're not adults yet. So treat them as children. They need the structure. They need the plan. They need to know exactly what's coming next. Give them a job. You know, do you ever do that? You have line leaders and flag holders, and you have jobs. And the very first time, they, they, on the Monday, you give them the job on a Monday, and they're terrible at it, and they break the rules, and all that kind of fun stuff. And it's, and it's normal for me to say, well, it looks like you're not the person for that job. So you sit down, Sebastian. Come here, Susie. Susie will show you how to hold the flag. You know what? Sebastian was going to nail it by Wednesday. Give him a chance, would you? Give him a chance. Remember the pathways? Remember the pathways? He got distracted on the way. He wasn't trying to be a jerk. He wasn't trying to stab Johnny with the flag. He just was just like, wow, this is neat. I can move it. Look at the movement. So give him a job and let him have it for the full week. By Friday, he'll have it. Lots of reinforcement. Build self-esteem. Because remember, self is what's really on fire at this point. So let's build it up. Shall we? Uh, there was a, something that happened. There was a, a parenting movement, I imagine, where self, at this age, was shut down. You will shut up and sit down. Kids are to be seen, not heard. Does this sound familiar? And this is the way most of us were raised. We were raised not to, don't touch, don't, don't touch, don't look. All right, everybody, we need to do this and this. Pay attention! <laughs> Isn't that crazy? And what did we put into that self? We put fear there. We put fear. When that person's there, I will sit quietly and stare forward. I don't know why, other than I don't want that person to yell at me or make me feel scared. And is that appropriate? That's not, the way, that's not the right way to make a brain grow. If our goal is to help a brain grow, then you don't put fear there. You put love there and encouragement there. Now, you still got to have boundaries. You still got to have boundaries. But I'm not going to yell at you or try to make you feel bad. I'm going to make you feel good about the choices that you're making. Oh, man, today you made a choice that wasn't a good choice. I appreciate that choice, but we still need a timeout. What? You just told him you appreciate the choice. He slapped a child in the face. You made a choice. You made a choice. It was your choice that put you in timeout. Not me. It was your choice that put you in timeout. And we're building pathways that equal my behavior equals my consequences. Cool? It starts here at toddlers. Here is a nerve. You are on my last nerve. I took a picture of it, and there it is. Have you ever seen this picture before? Yay! I saw this in um, Psychology 101, my first year of college. And it didn't make any sense to me now. Is it then? No, it makes more sense now. But you don't need to memorize all the parts of the, of the nerve. But remember myelin? Remember I mentioned myelin? There it is. You see? It's like little hot dogs around the nerve. It's, it adds bulk to it. That's what makes your brains bigger. Myelin does. And so nerves are kind of like wires, but they're, they're more like little plant roots. They go everywhere. You've got them everywhere. And right now, everyone, please get your finger, your number one finger, put it on the table in front of you, and just point down, push down. Right now, what are you feeling? Okay, some tingling. You feel the texture of the table? It's a little rough? Hmm? Resistance. The table is resisting your push. What are you feeling? Some pressure. Okay. Anyone feeling heat? You're feeling some heat? What's wrong with your table? 
Okay, okay. Anybody else feeling anything different? Okay, lift your, lift your hand, shake it out. What are you feeling? Everything you just described was a process of a nerve. And there are a lot of nerves in your fingertips, a whole bunch of them. And when you touch, you can feel pressure, you can feel temperature, you feel pain, you can feel um, all sorts of different things. And those signals, they go up the nerve fibers all the way up here. You ever hit your funny bone right here? Yeah, that's the ulnar nerve. The ulnar nerve is what you hit. And thank goodness it has some myelin on it because if it didn't have myelin on it, when you hit your funny bone, yeah, you'd be paralyzed. Yay for myelin. So, so it went up there. It goes up here, across here. This is called something I forgot. doesn't matter. You know, up through here, onto your spine, to your spine, into the base of the brain. Bingo. Now we're in your brain, and the part of your brain, your cerebrum, receives this information. Cerebrum goes, that's pressure. And your cerebrum goes, that reminds me of my first diary. It had the Naga Hyde cover. That, that texture, your cerebrum did that. Your nerve touched the table. That's all you did. You just touched the table. Now you're, now you're thinking about your childhood diary. Oh, now it's resistance. It's resistance. This table's resisting me. It's resistance. Well, I guess resistance could be good. That whole sentence, that whole thought of resistance sometimes is a good thing. Cerebrum did that. The nerve didn't do that. Your cerebrum did that. So here's how nerves work. I told you I lied to you and told you about connections. They're not connected. They are instead butted up against each other. Here's a blown-up view of the gap in between. One nerve grows, another nerve grows, and they stop just before they touch. If nerves touch, <laughs> we get strange signals. Sometimes that's where seizures come from. Anyway, this strange thing. That's why nerves don't touch. So what, how are we supposed to get a message from my finger to my brain if they don't touch? They release things called neurotransmitters. You see the little dots here? One nerve says to another nerve. I'm using business cards to, to demonstrate. One nerve says to another, hey, hey. And they toss neurotransmitters out into this area called the synapse. And the synapse fills up with certain neurotransmitters. Hey, we're touching a table. Hey. And this one, on this side of the synapse, called the postsynaptic wall, it catches the things that are being sent over. Now it catches some. Oh, table, got it. Yeah, I'm going to pass that along over there. And then sometimes it just bounces off the wall and it goes back into the synapse. We don't pick it up. Are you with me on this one? Some of the messages are received. Some of the messages burk, bounce off and go right back into the synapse where they will be reabsorbed or maybe just die there. I'm telling you this because have you ever seen a child who on occasion, especially toddlers, <laughs> you ever seen that behavior? All right. <laughs> Ow! Ever seen that? Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because their nerves all of a sudden go, anyway, like I was saying, ah! <laughs> and a message gets sent randomly, 
on accident through pre-established nerve pathways. It wasn't supposed to be there. Also, have you ever had a child, you're trying to teach them a new skill. Maybe it's scissors, using scissors. And we're working on the fine motor of squeezing scissors. It's really hard in the beginning. And they're trying. And you're doing your hand over their hand. And you're mimicking the movement. And they're like, okay. Their little nerve synapses, their little nerves are sending messages. Okay, okay. And then some of the messages that are being sent... They're just bouncing off. They're just not quite making it. But then finally they make it, and then the next day they come back to class. Okay, everybody, get your scissors. Time to cut. Time to cut. Let's cut. Let's cut. Time to cut. Let's cut. And the kids are like, cut! And the kid is over here, and the nerve's waiting for the message, and the message never comes. Because I want you to know how complex and amazing it is that any information gets sent along our nerves. It is a miracle that any information whatsoever actually leaves our brain and appears somewhere else. The fact that I can do this is a miracle. Have we, comp- have we created a machine that can do this with this fluidity? I don't think so. And we've been working on it for a long time. Have we created a machine that can hop on one foot? Because I have nerves in my brain that can adjust my balance, called the vestibular system, that can, that can change things. Isn't that crazy? I want you to see that in your children. When they show you behavior that you don't predict, like, what the heck is wrong with this kid today? <laughs> Maybe they have a disconnect in their neurotransmitters that day. Maybe they're dehydrated. You know what lives here in the synapse? Synovial fluid. Guess what dries up when you're dehydrated? Hmm, is that why I feel so groggy when I'm dehydrated? Is that why I get a headache? Uh Uh-huh, synovial fluid. So it's important that little kids get some water. If they're having a really bad day, maybe step one, hug them, love them, give them some water. Not NyQuil. Don't give them NyQuil. (laughs) Because I'm not doing that again. Now, I want you to see this. We're on the home stretch. We're almost there, right? We're almost there. Have you learned a little bit about how the brain works? As I want you to see these kids as, a mir- that, as the miracles that they are. You are a rock star, but it is a freaking miracle that any of us are alive and doing the things that we can do. It is amazing. We have a wonderful God that put us together in a most wonderful and perfect way. Isn't it crazy? Are we worthy of this? Strive every day to be worthy. That's why you're rock stars. I want you to see something. When a child is born, they have very few connections. This is an artist's rendering of neural connections in the brain. Very few connections when they're born. At one month, they have a lot more connections. Those connections look a lot like, hey, if I hear that voice, something good's going to happen. At nine months, well, they got a lot of, we've got a connection. Some of those connections are pretty thick. If I put my hand in my mouth, it's pleasurable. That's good. Okay, at two years, Lord have mercy, look at all the connections at two years. At the age of two, a child has more neural connections than we do as adults. There is more traffic in their brains than our brains right now. Now, you might be thinking, I don't think you know me. I got a lot going on up here. It's always running. But trust me, a two-year-old has more neural connections than you do in between your ears at the age of two than we do right now. They have more. 
And look at the adults. We have less, but some of them, see how fat they are? Some of our neural connections are far more established. I think we can understand way more nuances because of the thicknesses of our connections, but we have fewer connections. This is the last thing I want you to know, and it's called pruning. It happens right around the age of 24, 28 months, and it continues up until the age of four. Pruning is the body's way of getting rid of connections that it created early in life it no longer needs. After a child is up and moving, do they have to be an expert at crawling anymore? No. If we were all crawl across the floor right now, it would be a little clunky, wouldn't it? If we put a nine-month-old or a ten-month-old on the floor, do you think they could crawl better than us? Yeah. Yeah, they could. We don't need that. That was pruned. Have you ever seen a baby that loves Aunt Susie? Aunt Susie used to live with them. Aunt Susie lived them up to the age of three. Then Aunt Susie moved to New York and didn't have a chance to visit until the child was five years old. Oh, Aunt Susie can't wait to see the child. They were buddies back in the day. Aunt Susie shows up, and the five-year-old is like, stranger danger, who are you? <laughs> Aunt Susie got pruned. Aunt Susie got pruned because Aunt Susie wasn't part of the, of the child's daily life. That got pruned. You are teachers. The child has a very thick connection for you during the period that they're with you, they'll never lose you completely, but will your impact on their life lessen by the time they're 16? Yeah, yes it will. Will they remember you at the age of 16? Some will, some won't. You might get pruned. Sorry, <laughs> it happens to everybody. Sometimes you have a child who loves fire trucks. Six months later, they don't want to have anything to do with fire trucks. What happened? Fire trucks got pruned. Pruning is something that happens. I want you to know this because Twos to threes, do they sometimes act crazy? Yes. It's no wonder because their brain is filled with connections. Some of them are misfiring. Some of them are dying. Some of them are being replaced. There's a whole bunch going on between those little ears. And we need to be patient and soothe the child. Step one is always soothe the child before we tell them no. Soothe the child. Because when a child is soothed, they can receive love. They can receive education. They can move on to whatever's next. If they're not soothed, don't try to stand up in that river. You're going to get pushed down. You with me? All right. Well, guys, I think we've covered a whole bunch of fun stuff today. Look at all that. I skipped that just for you. If you would like a copy of this presentation or any presentation that I have, you can, you can find my email on these cards up here. You can also find me at tomsfunband.com. There's a contact me section there on that website as well. Let me know where you saw me, and I will send you the, the presentations in PowerPoint form and answer any questions you have. I hope you have a fantastic lunch. You guys have a wonderful day. Give yourselves a round of applause. You did it. Uh -huh. Good job.